Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. I've been talking about LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, history.com. You've heard about it several times in the introduction of this podcast. So get on out to LearnTrueHistory.com to get history the way it was intended to be told with no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. But not only that, I've got my new How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, my forthcoming book. So I want you to go to LearnTrueHistory.com to sign up for that great program. But also, if you go to BlameHamilton.com, you can get in on some giveaways for my forthcoming book. So two websites for you, LearnTrueHistory.com and BlameHamilton.com. Get in on both of those things. LearnTrueHistory.com is the place to go to learn history the way it was intended to be told. BlameHamilton.com is where you learn about how Alexander Hamilton was the greatest villain in American history. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Back to the Brian McClane Ahead Show. This is episode 88. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you if you like this podcast, please consider sharing around on social media. It will help expand the listener base. And if you uh, enjoy it, bring in some friends. You know, who wants to have a podcast and listen to a podcast alone? So don't just listen to it in your car by yourself. Listen to it at work where everybody can hear it. Or uh, share it around, uh, put it on your Facebook page, your Twitter page, whatever you got, your web page, and let people know how much you enjoy the show. Also, speaking of social media, you can uh, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and like my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, just look up Brian McClanahan. Again, that's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan, and same thing with my YouTube page. You can go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com, and you can give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook and audiobook, Forgotten Founders. So uh, head on out there and do that, brianmcclanahan.com. You just uh, put your email address in at the top of the page. No big deal there. And of course, my forthcoming How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America is now ready for pre order, and I have a fantastic new book trailer for that. Uh, that is on my YouTube page, also my Facebook page. So go on out there and check those out. It's only two minutes long, and uh, it's I think it's really worth your time to watch it. Uh, also, if you want to get some giveaways for that and get entered into the contest to get a master-level membership to Liberty Classroom, you can go on out there and do that. Just go to BlameHamilton.com, BlameHamilton.com. Click on the little button there that says Get Your Giveaways, and it'll take you to the page and explain how to do everything. So uh, go on out there and pre-order the book. And uh, if you get two or more, remember, you get a chance to get a six, or you will get a six-lecture course on Alexander Hamilton. And so you can give one to yourself and then one to your father, your friends, your enemies, whoever it is. I have had one person say that the class is definitely worth it. It's worth your time to go out there and get the class. So uh, don't waste the opportunity to get a class on Alexander Hamilton uh, and it's exclusively available for uh, those who pre-order two or more books. So, all of that said, uh, back to the topic of the day, which is the AMC show Turn. Now, I talked about another AMC show, The Walking Dead, 
And so every now and then I like to do a little pop culture, and I haven't talked about Turn. Uh, Turn is a show about the Culper Ring, which was a group of uh, spies that operated in New York during the American War for Independence. So um, this they're in their fourth season now, fourth and last season, and I've really enjoyed the show. However, there are a lot of historical inaccuracies in the show. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the people involved. We are getting close to uh, Independence Day, July 4th, and so I thought it might be fun to do a couple of podcasts. Uh, we'll do the next three on kind of this founding generation theme. So um, this particular uh, topic is something that a lot of people didn't know anything about before turn. Uh, and still, when you watch the show, you're left wondering, how accurate is this particular show? Um, so there are several things I like about the show. First and foremost, I think the show does a very good job showing the size and scale of America in the 1770s. Uh, when you look at, and this is something I've always enjoyed about the colonial period and then the early federal period, how small everything was. And so we talk about, I talk about on this podcast quite often, think locally, act locally. And you watch a show like this, and you really get a feeling for how that was entirely possible in the colonial period. Uh, the, the center of operations for this culper ring, this spy ring, was at a little place called Setucket, New York. And there was hardly anybody there. It was a little farming community. Uh, you maybe had a couple of hundred people in this little town. Uh, and even in New York, New York was so small compared to an urban center today. So everyone knew everyone. Uh, it was uh, local politics was, was everything. I mean, everything was local. And one thing that people have to remember about this American War for Independence, for most people who were fighting in that war, most people, particularly those that were in militia units, uh, if they joined the Continental Army, their perspective might have been a little different. But for most people, most Americans were still fighting in militia units. Uh, they were interested only in supporting their, fam their family, their friends, the local. Particularly if you look at the Southern Theater. I was um, actually reading a book about John Sevier, which, uh, if, you, if you pronounce his name properly, was Xavier, John Xavier. But we know him today as John Sevier. And if you go to East Tennessee, you've got Sevierville and Sevier County. It's named after John Sevier, one of the great heroes of Tennessee, uh, but there was a wonderful quote in this book where he talked about, the author talked about that uh, everything for Severe was local. And that's the way it was with so many of these members of the founding generation. Everything was local. And you see why when you see these beautiful landscapes uh, and the small nature of American society in the 18th century. And it makes me yearn for that, you know. Used to be when you live, let's say you live in a, in a suburban environment and you've got your subdivision, that would have been your whole town in the 18th century. There wouldn't have been anything beyond that. Your entire world would have been, think of your subdivision, a couple of hundred people. You would have known everybody in town. You would have known there would have been a little a shop, a few shops there to, uh, to, to uh, partake in. Uh, communication with the world would have been a little more difficult, uh, but everything would have been tied into the local. And so politics was easy. It wasn't always fair. It wasn't always good. But politics was easy. Now it's so much harder. Uh, even at, even reaching people has become much more difficult. Now I know people say, "Well, the internet. You got this podcast, and you got YouTube channels, and you got blogs, and you got all this. You got all that." 
Well, that's true, but there's so much noise out there. It's very hard to, to reach people unless uh, you do have uh, a, a tremendous amount of time to sit there and just become addicted to the Internet and, and uh, work social media like crazy. Uh, it, it's still very hard to reach people. And what you even find on social media is that you start getting a, a click of people that, uh, you know, that, that you follow, they follow you, and those become uh, kind of your, your little community on, on the Internet. Uh, of course, the detractors will say that's your echo chamber because everybody just agrees with what you're saying. But still, the small is just really interesting. And I think the show does a marvelous job for showing that, for, for accurately depicting the small nature of American society in the 18th century, the local nature of everything. Uh, and again, it makes you, long, it makes you yearn for that uh, think locally, act locally message when you could actually do that on a much more effective scale because of the size and scope of communities. And maybe you're listening to this podcast and you live in a small community yourself, a small town, but even small towns today uh, are much larger than what you considered a small town in the 18th century. Uh, the city that I live in, it's about 30,000 residents, that was the size of Philadelphia in 1790. And so uh, the city across the river from me has got 200,000 residents. I mean, that, is, that would have been a huge urban center in the 18th century. So, you know, this type of, of scale and thinking about those things is something that I think all Americans need to consider when we talk about decentralization and local government, all those things. I mean, this is why, because uh, when you look at the founding period and people think they, they don't conceptualize of that as being an issue where you had all these small little communities and it worked fine. We somehow seem to think that we need mega states and mega populations. In fact, that's a detriment to local government. And uh, if we want to talk about democracy, if you really want that, you can't really do that with 320 million people. It's impossible. And I see people on the left, we need more democracy. Trump is just... But we haven't had democracy. If you, if you look at our center and everything we're doing, the left loves the central authority, so do the neocons, the big government. There's no democracy there. It's all special interests and, and uh, you know, uh, people addicted to power, corruption. That's all you're going to get with these strong central authorities. So uh, in that way, I really do enjoy the show. Now, uh, the show has got its merits. Um, it's fun watching something on the 18th century, but it is very inaccurate in so many different ways. You have to take it with a grain of salt. There are parts of the show that get into the real story. I mean, they do get into the Culper Ring and who are the major players in that. They, they get into the Benedict Arnold treachery and uh, they get into uh, John Andre, who was the great uh, uh, British spy hunter, uh, so to speak, and carrying out his own set of spies, his own working uh, group uh, going into espionage. So they get into a lot of those things. Uh, but I think they get some of the characters wrong. Uh, and also they sensationalize a tremendous amount of, of uh, history and they create things out of thin air to make it a, a palatable television show. I mean, you think about what uh, producers in Hollywood think that you need to have to have an effective television show. So you got to have some gory violence here and there, including torture. You got to have that. You got to have salacious content. And so the show has that. And it's, it's unnecessary, really, and a lot of it was just made up because they think they need to do that to uh, have 
a show that people are going to watch, not realizing that people that watch the show are people like me, and what we would really like to see is something that's much more historically accurate. If I can say anything about a Tom Cruise film, uh, the film Valkyrie is one of the more accurate histories that's ever been done on film. It's pretty good. I mean, there are some things that are wrong with it, but uh, the reason I like that film so much is because it is fairly accurate when you get to the details of what was going on in that plot to kill Adolf Hitler. And so uh, it's, it's, a, it's an excellent film. Turn is good for the imagery and because it's 18th century and I love that time period. But again, the, the, the accuracy has, has much to be desired. So uh, let's talk about some of the things. First of all, the Woodhall family. Uh, the Woodhall family in Setucket was the center of the Culper Ring. Abraham Woodhall being the most important member of the Culper Ring. He was just a farmer there in New York, and his father was a magistrate in Setucket. Now, they do get into, and this is one thing that is, in, is interesting, they get into a little bit of slavery in New York. It was there in the, in the 18th century and quite prominent in the 18th century, particularly along the Hudson River, where you had these old patroonship settlements. There's actually another interesting book on this particular topic. It's entitled The Manor, and it's by a woman named Mac Griswold. And it gets a little bit into this uh, slavery on Long Island, this little island in Long Island called Shelter Island, and how extensive slavery was in that particular area. And this is kind of the forgotten history of slavery in, in America, northern slavery. Now, I know that a lot of people are coming to wrestle with that. And now, of course, with politically correct or cultural Marxist attacks on the South, uh, you know, some people are reevaluating. A, a friend uh, sent me a, an image of uh, a plaque that's been put at Brown University apologizing for the Brown family's uh, 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 interest in the slave trade, for example. But uh, the, the show does an okay job with uh, slavery in New York. It portrays uh, you know, how many New Yorkers were tied into the institution, and they like the institution. Uh, this was something that um, was part of their economic well-being, uh, that they considered uh, you know, slaves to be an important part of the agricultural community, of you know, house servants, these type of things. And uh, it does get into the British policy towards, uh, towards American colonists when it came to slavery. The British did free slaves. Uh, in fact, the British contended that Americans were fighting in the America for independence for slavery. Uh, it's a good thing they didn't win. I mean, this is something that most, most Americans don't realize. But the British, for example, particularly in Virginia, the governor of Virginia, Lord Dunmore, issued an Emancipation Proclamation that was very similar to what Lincoln did in 1863. And he essentially said all these Virginians are fighting for slavery. Now... We can contest that, and often we do contest that. What's the difference there? Uh, you did have slave-owning societies. In fact, most of America in 1776 was still a slave-owning society. Uh, it had not been abolished throughout almost all of the colonies and now American states. Uh, it continued to exist in the North long after the war. And so this was a society based on slavery in many of these places in terms of its labor institution. So it does get into that a uh, little. There was one exchange in one of the last episodes where uh, a, a, a man who fought with the Queen's Rangers, Ro uh, Robert Rogers, who was uh, well known to go out and round up uh, Indians and former slaves to fight with him, 
uh, that he did. Uh, there was a character that he that in the show, uh, and this character went to the house where he believed his uh, his girlfriend uh, was working as a slave, and come to find out that uh, uh, she wasn't there anymore. Uh, also, the the slave that approaches him, or who is no longer a slave because she has been, uh, she's a runaway supposedly, according to the show, she'd been, well, she had very hard things to say about George Washington. And they made it a point in this particular show. Again, it's PC uh, that uh, George Washington was never going to let these people go and all these other. So they had to inject some PC into the show. And, and contemporary politics were definitely at play here uh, to show uh, the Americans as these evil uh, slaveholding mongers, right? So uh, that particular part of it is kind of silly. Uh, but they do get into this particular uh, issue of slavery in the North, at least in, in some ways, and, and how it impacted the war and how people thought about it. And there was a, a character, uh, his name was Colonel Simcoe, and Simcoe on the show is shown to be this just barbaric uh, jerk of a guy. And he has a much larger role in the, in the show than he really had uh, in the actual, uh, actual uh, events of the time. But Simcoe eventually did become governor of Canada, and he did abolish slavery in Canada. And so uh, here is a, a, a connection to the American War for Independence and uh, this British officer who later became governor of Canada. Some of the stuff that goes on the show with, with Simcoe never happened. Uh, this was all historical license to make a good story. Uh, but Simcoe is the villain almost all the time. And uh, he, you really just love to hate Colonel Simcoe in the show. Uh, particularly when he tortures uh, one of the uh, main characters. Again, never happened. Uh, but it makes for a, a good show. At least that's what the producers of the show believe, that you got to have some type of torture or something in there to make people watch it. Uh, the other thing about uh, Abraham Woodhall, and they, they do a fairly good job with Woodhall. Um, they show him as a little bit too vacillating at times. Uh, he was a dedicated patriot. Uh, he was very interested in the ring, and um, he he did uh, he did a a great service to the American cause in uh, in putting this thing together at great risk to his own life. Now, one thing they show in the sh in the one thing they portray in the show that is just completely inaccurate was his relationship to Anna Strong. Uh, Anna Strong was the wife of of Celis Strong, who was also one of the great patriots. Uh, of the time uh, was actually uh, he was captured and put on a prison ship. They do kind of show these prison conditions in the American War for Independence. They were awful. These prison ships were just uh, you know terrible places. People uh, died all the time because of disease and other things. And the prison situation in general in the in the 18th century was just a miserable experience. If you got sent to prison, uh, you're really going to suffer. Uh, but there was no and there's no indication whatsoever in any particular way that Abraham Woodhall and Anna Strong carried on an affair. Uh, that, that is just Hollywood. That's made up. Uh, and some of these historical pieces, you know, when you look at uh, historical dramas and they show the romance and all these other things, uh, if, if they actually portrayed it the way it would have been in the 18th century, no one would want to watch it. Uh, you're talking about people that maybe, maybe bathe uh, once a month if they were lucky. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, the romance uh, that they show, I mean, it's, it's just irrelevant and pointless for the show, particularly when there's no historical basis for it whatsoever. And in the case of, of Woodhall and Strong, uh, there is no evidence that these two 
ever carried on an affair. And in fact, there's no evidence that Anna Strong was ever even involved very much in the Culper ring. Uh, there are some questions as to whether she was part of it, uh, but they make Anna Strong in the show out to be one of the main intellectual, you know, uh, under uh, uh, intellectual heirs, or I should say intellectual uh, figures, actors, in this particular ring. Uh, there's no evidence that was the case whatsoever. But again, this is kind of political correctness. they got to show a woman at the center of all this, and they get into some of these things uh, with the show. Uh, to make it seem like this is much more broadly encompassing more people, and particularly women. Uh, these people were all just egalitarians, and they thought the women, that women should be involved. They do show, you know, Anna Strong is struggling with this, and this male-dominated society, and she can't break through. Nobody listens to her. Well, that's because her role was not really there. Um, so, uh, it, it, again, they do this in the show to make her bigger than she really was in the entire spy ring. Uh, now, also, uh, Samuel Townsend, uh, the, the shopkeeper in New York, they show him uh, pretty accurately. Uh, you know, Townsend was uh, an, an integral part of the ring. He was the guy that was in New York itself who would write things and report back to Woodhall about uh, comings and goings of British officers and troop movements and supply and things of that nature. So his information was actually invaluable, and he was the most important man in the spy ring, really. And they do a pretty good job uh, showing uh, Townsend with this particular uh, role in the show uh, and the risks that he also took. I mean, all these people were taking great risks because if they were discovered, they were going to be hung. And, of course, the most famous case of an American spy being hung was uh, Nathan Hale, uh, who was hung early on in the war for being captured by... Uh, Robert Rogers. He was discovered by Rogers and uh, then sent over to the British and where he was hung the next day. And he became the symbol of, of American resistance. 21-year-old Nathan Hale, uh, who supposedly said, it is a shame I have, I have but one life to give for my country. No evidence he actually said that, but he was hung there in New York. Uh, so uh, Townsend is fairly accurately portrayed. I, I think they do a pretty good job with him. And same thing with uh, Benjamin Talmadge. Uh, Benjamin Talmadge was the organizer of the ring for the for the American Continental Army. He had uh, Washington's ear, and he was a very good uh, uh, officer in the in the American Army and uh, a man of high character and high esteem. Uh, I think that uh, they do an excellent job with Talmadge and his portrayal. Uh, that is one thing that they do get pretty uh, they do get right. He's, it's pretty accurate in, in Major Talmadge. Uh, so I think that in that way, they're showing this officer as a real gentleman in the, in the Continental Army. However, on the other hand, uh, the portrayal of George Washington is just completely cartoonish. Uh, there's one particular episode early on in, in one of the seasons, I can't remember if it was in season two or season three, where Washington is portrayed as this guy who is a bumbling, waffling idiot. Uh, he tears up. He's having these hallucinations. He tears apart his office, and the only thing that saves him that saves him is his loyal body servant who gets George Washington back in line. Also, George Washington doesn't have any ideas of his own. Uh, he, um, his wife Martha Washington, gives him all kinds of. Oh yes, I mean George, you have to do these things because I'm telling, essentially telling you to do these things. So Washington is a bumbling idiot. 
Uh, and again, he's this evil slaveholder, a bumbling idiot. This guy should never have been so highly regarded in American history. He's He's got a, a hot temper. None of this stuff is, is true. Uh, you know, George Washington was well known for his restraint. Uh, and uh, when you look at the show, you'd think that George Washington is just the greatest fool in American history. He was only he only knew anything because all these people around him told him what to do. Uh, but that's simply not true. They also don't show very much in, in uh, portray very much in the show the influence of the Marquis de Lafayette uh, with Talmadge and Hamilton and others. They do have Hamilton in the show um, briefly uh, several times. Uh, and, and Lafayette's there, but they don't show a Talmadge's relationship with Lafayette. Uh, the two were pretty close. Uh, and so uh, they, they kind of leave him out. Uh, now, what about John Andre? Well, John Andre and Benedict Arnold. They get into the Arnold betrayal at uh, West Point there, the fort that uh, he gave up or was trying to give up when he, uh, when he, he defected to the other side. It didn't work. And they show him as kind of what he was. And Arnold was not getting paid. He was from a lower family. He needed money. Uh, he wanted to marry the most beautiful uh, woman in Philadelphia, Peggy Shippen. And in order to do so, she was from a very wealthy family. He thought he needed money. And he thought he needed money to put her into a particular lifestyle. And so he defected. He, he defected for, for money. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Arnold was one of the greatest traders. Now, in American history. Now they do show kind of in some ways, you know, there's you have a little bit of sympathy for Arnold. He was a great war hero. And I mean, this is a lot of people don't realize that, but Arnold was a very good field general for the American cause. And he did crave glory and he wanted people to love him. He, he thought he was just as good as, as any of the other uh, general officers, but he didn't get the kind of glory that he needed. And so he, he left. I mean, this was a completely selfish move on, uh, on Benedict Arnold's part because he wasn't getting money and glory, and he thought he would get it on the British side. Come to find out, they despise him for this. I mean, that's fairly accurate. Arnold went back to, uh, to England after the war was over, and nobody wanted anything to do with him. Uh, they do a show, at least in season uh, four so far, uh, we've only had a few episodes in it, but uh, Arnold's role in as he, what he proclaimed himself to be a spy hunter which didn't work out for him because he didn't really find any spies. But he did know that there were people operating in New York, and he knew that Talmadge was involved. But the British already knew that anyways. Now, when his John Andre and, and Arnold, according to the show, uh, were involved in a love triangle. Really what it came down to was John Andre was having an affair, an illicit affair, with Peggy Shippen. And then uh, it, it was uh, you know his idea to get Arnold and Shippen together so that they could, uh, you know, have some type of, of, uh, of correspondence back and forth. And then, of course, Arnold falls in love with Shippen and he wants to marry her. And then Shippen marries Arnold. Uh, and Andre is just heartbroken over this. There's no evidence that Andre and Shippen were carrying on any type of affair. Again, this is AMC made for television stuff to get a love triangle going and make it much more interesting. Uh, John Andre though, was a real gentleman's gentleman. Uh, John Andre was a man of uh, high stature, and he was well-regarded everywhere he went. Uh, he was considered to be uh, dashing, very handsome, uh, very cultured, and uh, he was a very good officer in the British Army. 
and a man doing his job. And he was only uh, you know, captured because of the situation, the botched situation with Benedict Arnold. They do get into that. And of course, he was wearing plain clothes except for his boots. And uh, the boots gave him away. And uh, they, they do, do the show does a very nice job with portraying the capture of, of John Andre and uh, how, that, how that happened. And of course, then his uh, very high profile hanging uh, and they get into his trial, and and Andre's uh, cool under fire. I mean, this is this is something that again we just don't think about. But these gentlemen treated each other differently. Andre was very open about his role as a British officer. He understood he was going to be executed because he was caught in plain clothes, even though he wasn't doing anything wrong at the time. I mean, he's such, uh, he he really wasn't trying to spy necessarily, uh, but at that point. But uh, he knew he was going to be executed, and so they get into the trial and other things, uh, and the attempt uh, for Andre to have a firing squad rather than hanging, uh, to, be, to be executed as an officer rather than a spy. Uh, he wanted to avoid hanging, and, and so they do a very nice job with that part of it. Uh, John Andre, again, is a fairly uh, sympathetic uh, character in the, in the program, and... and uh, I think that's that's a nice part of the show and how they how they portray this this real gentleman in the British Army and there are certain parts of the American War for Independence that are often overlooked the fact that um, William Howe uh, who was the general officer in control of Philadelphia and uh, operating in the Mid Atlantic region he was a real gentleman uh, he he actually tried to treat the colonists with kid gloves at times uh, so much so that I think it worked against him uh, because he allowed them a lot of freedom and if you're fighting this type of war, uh, that's not something that's going to often happen or work to your advantage. But um, how was a real gentleman's gentleman? And uh, so was Andre. And so there is that part of this. I mean, there were, there were the British who were a bunch of jerks. Uh, there was definitely that case in the raiding and, and uh, the property destruction. These things, all these things happened uh, without a doubt. Uh, but uh, they do portray some of the other British, some of the men uh, who uh, did a fairly good job trying to be uh, reasonable with the situation and the colonists in New York at the time. One of the other things the show gets wrong is with a guy named Nathaniel Sackett. Nathaniel Sackett was uh, a an, in, an innovator, a, a real inventor, and he came up with an invisible ink that the that these spies could use. And the show they portray him as getting murdered. He wasn't murdered. He lived the entire war. Uh, again, this is license taken with the show to make it much more interesting. Uh, he lived through the entire war. Actually, went insane uh, later in the uh, later in his life. But um, uh, Sackett uh, was someone who was very much involved in some of the innovations that were made in uh, coding and other things uh, for the spy ring. So that is an interesting part of the show uh, that they get wrong. Uh, but uh, Sackett was a real guy, and uh, Sackett was involved in coming up with some interesting innovations at the time to help the spy ring work. So I would, you know, the, 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 the show is actually based, and I didn't say this at the beginning, on a book by Alexander Rose entitled Washington Spies, The Story of America's First Spy Ring. It's a great book, a uh, real page turner. Uh, it reads like a, like a novel rather than a dry history. Uh, so I would highly recommend getting it. Um, it's, it's very, very good. And, of course, you've had uh, uh, Brian Kilmeade, uh, come out with a book after this on Washington spies. And, uh, you know, Kilmeade, of course, with his public profile, is able to sell a lot of books, but it's nowhere near as good as uh, Alexander, Rose book, or Alexander Rose's book. 
uh, which is uh, that's what the the uh, turn series is based on this this book by Alexander Rose. Uh, again, very, very good. And you can get the real history of all these things in that particular book. So I'd highly recommend the book. Uh, if you like historical dramas, you can get all of the first three seasons of Turn, I believe, on places like Netflix. It's an AMC show, so they put it out there for free. So if you haven't watched it, uh, I'd highly recommend doing so. Uh, a lot of historical license taken with it. But again, you get the feeling for 18th century America. It's an interesting time. The the scale of it all is just so refreshing and wonderful when we live in these mon- monster states and, and this very impersonal society that we have where you really don't, unless you live in a much smaller community, you just don't know everybody. And uh, it, it's it's so much different today than it was in the 18th century. And I, uh, sometimes when you watch these shows, you, know, you feel kind of a, a pang of remorse that it's just not there anymore like that. But uh, if you do grow up in a small town, maybe you have a little bit of that feeling, but uh, if you live in a much more urban environment, bigger bigger community, it's much harder to have that experience. But you understand why, in that particular case, the local worked. And when I say think locally, act locally, this is what I'm talking about. We need to start thinking about these smaller communities and having communities at work uh, like they did in the 18th century. Okay, I'll see you next time on The Brian McClain Show. <laughs>